Welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Our text for this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. The title this morning as we continue the series out of uh, the book of Ephesians is God's Design for Marriage. And with verse 25, we're looking at God's admonition to the men. And it is a great need today as we think about uh, marriage and the relationship within the, within the home that we return to God's design, what he has given to us from his word. If you go back to uh, the context, the larger context of this section, we're talking about following the Lord. And in verse uh, 21, he transitions with this statement that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we see this general command of submitting to one another. And the, and the attitude of humility that's needed is foundational to all good relationships. And it's out of our submission to the Lord that we are able to submit to one another. We saw last uh, time as we were in this text that <clears throat> the topic uh, in that uh, passage from verse 22 to 24 was wives who respect their husbands with submission. And so now this morning we turn to the men and with the topic of uh, husbands who lead with love from um, from verse 25. Let's read read those words. If you have your place in Ephesians chapter 5, we'll look together from verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water, uh, washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband's. Father, this morning as we come to your word, I pray that you would uh, just... Uh, help us, enable us, Lord, to hear your word and to respond to your word. Our hearts might be open and obedient to follow you in all that you've given us. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we look at this text, we go back to verse 23. We see there that Paul had uh, introduced the reality of the headship of the husband in the marriage relationship. And he's talking about the leadership there of the, the men or the husbands in the home. 
And some have raised the question as if uh, there is possible to, to be a leader and to also be a servant, to be uh, submissive in the sense of, of serving. And as we look at the scripture, we realize that this is a basic principle of Christian leadership, this principle of, of being a servant leader. We, we have the words of Christ as he's talking to his disciples in the upper room. And you remember in Luke chapter 22, uh, from verse 25, he instructs them. They were um, debating and arguing about who was to be the, the, the greatest in the kingdom. And they were concerned about the leadership position they might have. And the Lord says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. This certainly applies to leadership in the home. He's talking to the disciples that would become leaders of the church and pastors, but this principle of leadership is certainly true for us. He'll go on in that context and say, for who is the greater one, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And so Christ set the example for them of what he means when he talks about this headship, this authority, this leadership, and as it applies to husbands in the home, it is a headship that is analogous to Christ and his love for the church. It's a, a headship or authority is not a, a domineering authority, but a self-sacrificial um, headship given by the Lord. Think about Christ. In his coming, he's the sovereign of the universe. He humbled himself to come to earth and be born as a man and took upon himself the form of a servant and served us in obedience to the Father and even to die for us that he would be our Savior. So then the husband's submission as it relates to the relationship in the home is not by giving up his headship or responsibility to lead, but by leading with love. I want you to notice again in this section, as he speaks to the, to the husbands, there is this gospel connection that Paul keeps bringing us back to as he instructs, instructs the husbands. He uses the analogy of Christ in, his, in Christ's love for the church to illustrate what this love is, what it looks like. And he admonishes the husbands to love as he loved. You see, the gospel is the basis and motivation for our obedience and loving leadership. The gospel, the, the good news about Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, has provided forgiveness for all who believe, those who turn from their sin and self-reliance and cast themselves fully upon the grace of God for salvation. These are the people to whom Paul is writing. 
Obviously, unbelievers can benefit from following God's design for marriage, but they don't have the indwelling Spirit of God and the grace and power of God to live their lives for Him. But we, as His children, are enabled uh, to obey Him and to follow Him in these commands. And that's how He begins in verse 25 with the command to love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Now, there are different kinds of love. In English, we use the word love very uh, loosely. We can talk about loving ice cream or loving our mother or loving a new dress or whatever it might be. We, we're dependent upon the context and how a person is using the word love to determine exactly what they mean by that and what the depth of, uh, uh, of their emotion is or how serious uh, they are about what they're saying. But in Greek, there's various words that help us to, to identify uh, the depth of meaning or the, <clears throat> the exact nuance of meaning. And, uh, and so we have the word phileos, which is often used to speak of a friend, speaks of affection or emotion. And the noun of that, of that word, uh, philio, uh, is usually translated love. And uh, it's a... It's, a, it's an important concept. We have uh, the, the emotion of love and uh, care and affection for a friend of, of um, God's love for us, or, or of Christ. And there's also the word eros that <clears throat> speaks of a sensual desire, physical attraction. And because of the sinfulness of man's heart, this gift of God uh, becomes evil and debased, described in the, the Bible as pornea, or sexual immorality. You see, God gave to husbands and wives within the, the marriage relationship love in the purest sense of eros. But a marriage needs more than just physical attraction. It, it needs uh, a phileo, a sharing of life together and closest, as close friends, but more than that, Paul here is admonishing husbands to, to love, to agape their, their wives. And so this is what Paul is talking about. This word agape is, is not void of emotions, but it's deeper than uh, the attraction or emotions. It is built upon a commitment to the other person for their good. It is willing to put uh, the other person first before self, even, even sacrificially to, to serve them. Uh, the, <clears throat> there can be no greater example of agape uh, than the love of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul admonishes us to love as he did. Uh, notice in verse 25 again, he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you go back to the uh, beginning of the chapter in verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, God knows that 
we're not able to love with the the infinite depth of love that that Christ has and has demonstrated. But because he has put his love in our hearts, we have uh, this capacity to love as he loved. We we have the Spirit of God uh, within us, and we can love with the same kind of love that he has demonstrated. And so the command for husbands to love their wives as the Lord love the church is uh, is possible as we walk with him and submit ourselves to him uh, and we are able to love with the same kind of uh, self-sacrificial caring love uh, that uh, Christ is, has shown us and that's where he uh, he begins in this passage as he talks about Christ's love for the church, we see that he's describing a love, first of all, that is sacrificial. Uh, Notice again at the beginning of this section in verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for hers. I was just speaking of his uh, crucifixion, his death on behalf of the church. And Paul will take the next two verses to elaborate upon the love of Christ for the church. And he he shows us the purpose in his dying for us. And so we have uh, in these verses the, the purpose of cleansing and sanctifying the church. Notice uh, verse 26 and 27. He says that, and these are purpose statements that so that you'll you'll notice he repeats that in this verses and uh, what Paul is doing here in these verses he's using the analogy of Christ and describing his love for his bride we see Paul going back and forth between the the metaphor of the of the church as a body Uh, the body of Christ, and the church as the bride, the bride of Christ. And here he seems to have the the bride of Christ in mind. You'll notice his words. He says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, you see, Christ's ultimate purpose is to present us, the church, to himself in the splendor of his own holiness. We see in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 6 through 8, this hallelujah chorus that uh, John is able to, to hear and the Lord enabled him to see into the future when uh, the Lord returns and uh, receives uh, his bride into himself. And there's this um, the imagery of the, uh, of this, the wedding feast. And notice the chorus in heaven. Hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. 
You see, this is the, the imagery that Paul is, is, is referring to uh, as, as he talks about uh, that which the Lord has accomplished and will finish uh, for in the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her. The word sanctified simply means to be set apart for God, to be holy. And when we turn to faith in, in Christ, trusting him alone, he saves us and sets us apart for himself. You see, this is God's eternal purpose for us, our, our future glorification that we'll be with him. If you'll go back to the um, beginning of this letter in chapter 1, uh, notice verse 3 and 4, there he states this, this purpose of God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in himself before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And so we have this truth before us. Uh, he also uses, in verse 26, the word cleansing. And uh, we have this, this imagery of the bride being made ready for uh, the wedding. And in order to be sanctified, in order for the church to be, to be set apart for God as holy, we must be cleansed, we must be forgiven of our sins. He says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, some who want to, to support the practice of infant baptism will interpret the washing of the water as a reference to baptism. But this is really a serious mistake because it implies that the ritual of baptism is the means of the new birth or regeneration. Or at least they'll uh, claim that it represents this uh, regeneration. Well, the waters of baptism do not cleanse us or wash away our sin, uh, nor do I believe that is the intent of, of, the, of the practice of baptism to, to, to symbolize cleansing or washing away of our sins? The, the scriptures show us that the water baptism, it pictures or symbolizes our death with him, the death to the, the old self and the new life in him, at the, the resurrected Christ. And so we... We see that here, as Paul describes in verse 26, this washing, he's saying that the washing is with the water of the word and uh, not, of, not of baptism, but of the spoken word, the rhema, uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that a, a sinner hears and the spirit of God uses to bring about conviction of sin and and repentance and faith in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, there we read, The word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And also in our, in our letter in Ephesians chapter 1, there in the, in the beginning, Paul writes in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, 
of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. You see, this new birth or regeneration is pictured as washing or cleansing. South Titus used use it, um, uh, or in Titus 3, verse 5, he sa it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so the washing that <clears throat> Paul is describing here is the work of God in cleansing us, forgiving us, saving us from our sins. And this is the grace of God toward us and the, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And Paul uh, has added these words in verse 26 and 27 uh, to impress upon us the nature of the love of Christ for the church. And as we contemplate and learn of his love, we are motivated to love as he loved. Well, as we think about Christ's love for his bride, there's just three things that came to my mind from this section. The first being that uh, this love is undeserving. In other words, it 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 has um, it's not waiting for the person to be worthy or deserving of love. It it's uh, it loves from a commitment to do so. And secondly, closely related, this unconditional love. It's not dependent upon the, the other person. It is is love that uh, that acts with intention, and, and, and thirdly, it is proactive. And so we see these characteristics of the love of Christ, and it's what he's called us to, that we might die to self, in other words, sacrificially love our wives. And this is <clears throat> uh, the truth that he's presenting in, in these verses. And then the second part that, um, that we see from verse 28 to 30 is more an emphasis on the caring nature of the love of Christ and the love that uh, husbands are to have for their wives. It's not uh, it's not separate from the first part, but it's a it's um, related to it. It's still still talking about Christ and the way that He loved the church, uh, but here He He He. <clears throat> Uh, brings in this um, element of care. Notice verse 28 to 30 again. He says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nurses and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Notice he begins... Uh, verse 28 by saying, in the same way. So he's continuing to admonish husbands to love as Christ loved the church, but he says something that is rather unexpected. He says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
And so the, the husband is not to think of his wife as someone under him or even apart from him. Because of the, the union of marriage, she is part of him, of his very body. As Paul will quote in the, in the next verse, verse 31, I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse 31, quoting from Genesis 2, verse 24, where God says, the two shall become one flesh. So, therefore, just as we normally nourish and cherish our own bodies, we are to care for the needs of our wife, whether they're physical, or emotional, or spiritual. Paul is saying to the husbands, that in this one flesh union of marriage, what is good for your wife is good for you. So take care of her. She is one with you. And, and then he comes back to the example of Christ again and his love for us and says, uh, and reminds us that Christ cares for us as members of his body. And so we have this, analogy of Christ again, and his love for his own body, the church, and <clears throat> admonishes us as husbands that we would love our wives as our own body uh, because we are one in marriage. Well, we come to verse 31 to 32, and there we see this mystery that uh, Paul reveals he says, therefore, he's quoting again from Genesis 2, verse 24, the first marriage. And he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, a mystery in the New Testament something that had been hidden, uh, but is now revealed by God to his people. And these mysteries are usually associated with the coming of Christ and what that means for us, the church, now and in, in the future. Uh, but here Paul is revealing that the one flesh nature of marriage the marriage bond is intended by God to reflect and to point to the relationship of Christ to his body, the church. So in this intent of God in the marriage relationship uh, would not have been seen. It was hidden up until the coming of Christ and the revelation of uh, the church and what God would accomplish for, for in the church, making uh, the church his own bride. And so the, the husband-wife relationship is to be such that uh, uh, the, the oneness of that relationship would point to the Christ and the relationship that he has with uh, the church of God. And so Paul brings us back again to focus our minds on Christ and the relationship that we have with him. We see again the gospel connection. That is the basis and motivation for our obedience to God's design in the marriage relationship. <clears throat> and Paul will, will conclude 
with the, the summary statement in verse 33, where he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And as he speaks to the men there, he makes an emphasis on the responsibility of each one. And as the Lexham Bible uh, emphasizes this in the translation, he says, only you also, each one of you, must thus love his own wife as themselves. Well, husbands, uh, certainly as we contemplate the love of Christ, we must sense the, the weight of our responsibility uh, and in reality, our inability, our weakness, and our need for God's help, that we would be driven to Him in dependence upon Him, seeking His help and His grace and His empowerment. Because until we realize our need for God's grace, we'll continue in our own sinful actions and self-reliance. We must daily walk in dependence upon Him, uh, keeping in step with the Spirit of God, that we might be humble and repent of our sin, confessing our sin. We, we confess our sin to God, and uh, then we confess our sin to one another. Uh, in confession... Uh, meaning just to say the same thing that God says. And so when we come in um, repentance and confession, we agree with God. We say what He says. And when we uh, confess to one another, our husband or our wife, we, we, we say what we did wrong. Uh, and we ask for forgiveness. This is the humility that is, is basic to the relationship that God has planned for us. And then, uh, secondly, we would live in the power of God's grace. Uh, daily, the need for His grace, that uh, we, might, <clears throat> we might be able to obey Him. Um, husbands, a, th a third action point would be to take the lead in following Christ. Uh, not just on... Sunday, but on every day uh, of the week, every part of the day, that uh, we would exercise the spiritual leadership that God wants to give us and enable us. Uh, and as we take steps of obedience and dependence upon Him, He will empower us and He will enable us. And then fourthly, to demonstrate Christ's love to our to our wives to our wife and children as we would uh, follow him men need to be respected and wives need to be loved and in the christian home this starts with submission to christ and flowing from that relationship of submission to him we can submit to one another in obedience to god's design for the family let's pray together Father, we do rejoice in you and your love for us.
Thank you, Father, for uh, how that you have loved us with an infinite love, and you've saved us, and you've uh, cleansed us, and you've set us apart for yourself. And Lord, we can rejoice in that and uh, be thankful for what you've done for us. And as we've seen in your word this morning, Father, you you call upon us uh, to act upon what you have done for us and what you have given us. You, you call upon uh, us as husbands to love our wives with the same kind of love that you loved us with when you came and died for us. And so, Father, we we look to you this morning and ask for your grace uh, that uh, we might obey you, that we might uh, uh, be motivated to follow you uh, out of your love for us, and that uh, you would uh, help us and give us grace needed. We might obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 